to be eight years old. I remember being eight years old in third grade in Mrs. Baldridge's class, and that's about it. I don't remember a lot. I remember uh, getting in trouble, but I'm a little too embarrassed to share that story from the pulpit. It's, it's not the best story to share. But uh, do you remember what it was like to be eight years old? What responsibilities did you have? What chores did you have? What was expected of you? Now go back to little eight-year-old you and your higher-pitched voice and your silky smooth skin and ask yourself, were you ready to be president of the United States? <laughs> it's kind of a ludicrous question, isn't it? This morning, we are going to look at, this morning and next Sunday, we're going to look at King Josiah in 2 Chronicles 34. So if you turn in there, go ahead and, and find that. He became king at the tender age of eight. Now, if you're having trouble getting the perspective of eight, let me, let me read for you a few of the names of our, our eight-year-olds, or, or our eight-year-olds who are up on stage this morning, and some are just at VBS. Audrey Crow is eight years old. Anna Hunley is eight years old. Madison Bales is eight years old. And Jessica and Christina Mann are eight years old. Now, I ask you, which one would you vote for president? Because that's kind of what we're considering this morning with King Josiah. I would not vote for one of them. I love each and every one of them. I trust you would not as well. So let's, uh, let's get right into Josiah this morning. Chapter 34 of Second Chronicles, starting in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of his David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. Now, right off the bat, we have this picture of Josiah. He's described as a man who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David, not turning aside. He followed God with, his, with all of his heart. And David, if you'll recall, was known as a man after God's own heart. And Josiah is cut from the same cloth. And as we look into the account of Josiah's reign today, we will see that, we will see that like David, Josiah had a heart for God. And that's, that's what I want us to walk away with, with, uh, from this morning is, is the idea of a heart for God. And, and Josiah and how he had a heart for God. Now, Josiah is from the line of David, but he didn't come from a great family. So let's trace his history just a little bit. Now, his great-grandfather Hezekiah was, was an exceptional king of Judah. As a matter of fact, uh, and, and as a follower of God, as a matter of fact, in 2 Kings 18, uh, verse 5, it says that there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. So King Hezekiah, his, Josiah's great-grandfather, greatest king in Judah's history. Now, now let, me, let me explain that a little bit. David was a king of Israel. Hezekiah was king of the split Judah, not of Israel, all right? So he's not saying he's greater than David there, but I just want to clear that up, clear that up. Now, Josiah, though, did not know his great-grandfather. He did, however, know his grandfather, Manasseh. And maybe you've heard that name. Uh, Manasseh is famous in the Bible, or maybe we should say infamous in the Bible. He reigned for 55 years and would have known Josiah for the first six years of his life. And Manasseh was certainly no Hezekiah. 
For as good as Hezekiah was, Manasseh seemed to strive to swing to the other side of the pendulum. Uh, Hezekiah tore down high places during his reign. Manasseh put them up. Manasseh seemed to to seek out opportunities to walk away from the Lord and stray from the Lord. He defiled the temple with altars to the stars and the the moon and the constellations. He adopted the practices of the Canaanites. In, In 2 Kings 21, two verses are probably the gravest summaries of a person's life you will find in the Bible, and they both describe Manasseh. In 2 Kings 21, 6 and 16, it says this, Manasseh sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced divination. He sought omens and he consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. In verse 16, moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end besides the sin that he caused Judah to commit so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it mentions the killing that Manasseh did. It probably included the prophet Isaiah, uh, who was sawn in half, uh, which is alluded to in Hebrews chapter 11. So, so Josiah comes from a legacy that, that he knew of evil. Manasseh's son Ammon took over for him at the age of 22. And Ammon was Josiah's father. Ammon reigned two short years before he was assassinated. And after some political maneuvering and some some kicking out of the assassinators and, and taking care of them, Josiah was made king by the people at eight years old. So it's to this roller coaster family history of royalty that, that, that Josiah takes his seat on the throne at the tender age of eight. How is it that a grandfather so evil and a father so evil could have a son so amazing to fear the Lord? Well, we aren't told. We have a hint, though. 2 Kings 21b tells us that Josiah's mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah, and she was from Bozkath. Lots of times the mothers are mentioned in Kings, but not always with so much detail. So we can assume that because her and her father's name are mentioned here, it would seem that Josiah's mother and her family taught Josiah to fear the Lord from a young age and probably remained a strong influence into his teenage years. Because as we read earlier, In his eighth year of reign, when he was 16, King Josiah, he's 16 and a king. And still, even at 16, it doesn't sound better. When he's 16, he begins to seek the Lord of his father David. And as he does so, he grows and becomes very passionate for the ways of the Lord. And four years of growth later, he uses the platform given him to enact change in Judah. So at 20 years old, he begins to purge Judah and Jerusalem of foreign gods. A purge unlike anything that ever been seen before. And when you piece together the accounts in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles where we're reading from, it seems to indicate that this purge took six years. Six years of wiping out in Judah unfaithfulness and, and idols and idolatry. And there's quite a list in 2 Kings 22, and I'm going to try to sum it up for you a little bit. I'll give you the highlights. First, he brought out of the temple all the stuff that had been brought in for idols, all the stuff that didn't belong that other kings of Judah had brought in. He deposed all kinds of priests and killed priests who had been ordained to make offerings at high places all around Judah, who burned incense to Baal, who burned incense to the sun, moon, and stars, and all the hosts of heaven. He brought out Asherah poles from the temple, 
uh, Asherah poles would have been used in a, in a uh, or, or symbolized a, a sexual ritual. He also broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes that were in the temple. We begin to, begin to see an idea of how how corrupt and how perverted and evil uh, all these things had, had happened in Judah, and, and 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 all this is going on. It says that 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 Josiah defiled. Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or daughter as an offering again. Perhaps that was where his uncle, that Manasseh, had, had sacrificed his uncle. Uh, he removed uh, idols in the form of horses that a previous king of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the temple. He burned the chariots of sun with fire. He defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem that Solomon had set up to the uh, the false gods of, of, of uh, the Sidonians, the Moabites, and the Ammonites. He's, Josiah's purging all these things that other kings have done. The, the altar at Bethel, he took that down. The high place erected by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, uh, who made Israel to sin. So Josiah, at age 20, after, after seeking the Lord at age 16, after growing for four years, growing passionate, he begins to purge Israel, to cut off sin. He shows great concern for the things of God. His heart was for, for God, so all idolatry had to go. It had to be, be cut off and taken out. And, it, and, it, and so he set to doing it. So over the six-year purge, uh, we get that six years because in, in, in 2 Kings 22, in his 18th year of reign, he begins to rebuild the temple. So, so, so let's, let's review Josiah's life up to this point. And, and, and uh, at age eight, he becomes king. At age 16, he starts to seek after God. At age 20, he begins to purge Judah. At age 26, he repairs the temple. Now, if you're like me, you're probably beginning to feel a little ashamed at how little you've done in your life. Uh, we're talking at Josiah at age 26, and I'm, I'm at 42, and I'm thinking, I, I've purged no temples. And I've, I, you know, I wasn't a king, and I'm not a king. But, but this, this Josiah is going after things of God. He's seeking God with, with all his heart. Josiah's life is about to take another turn that draws him even closer still to the Lord. And we see the truth of James 4 played out. If you, if you uh, know that reference in James 4, James tells us to submit to God in verse 7, chapter 4, and then in verse 8 he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And Josiah is obviously seeking to follow God with all his heart and with all his soul, just like we sang this morning, his mind and strength, he's concerned with the things of the Lord. He sought the Lord, and he's walked in obedience to him. So his next step, after, after purging Israel of all the evil and getting that out, his next step is to repair the temple, which has fallen into disrepair because Manasseh reigned for 55 years, Ammon reigned for two years, and the temple isn't going to get any attention during those 57 years. So you, you can imagine that it, that it had a lot of repair that needed done, not to mention all the all the, um, the Canaanite uh, false religion stuff that would have went on in there. So it's during this project, during this project of preparing the temple, that a discovery is made, which is going to reveal even more that God is drawing Josiah to himself, and we see even more of Josiah's heart for God. Let's read on in verse 14. All right, so they're, they're repairing the temple. They're bringing out the money that's been brought to repair the temple. And this is where they're at. While they're bringing the money out, out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law given through Moses. 
Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now watch Josiah's reaction. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Now we know Josiah has a heart for God. We know Josiah uh, uh, loves God, that he's pursuing God with all he's got. And so it's, it's, it's kind of an odd reaction to hear that, that he, he hears the words of the law and he tears his clothes, except when you consider why one tears their clothes. All right, It's a sign of extreme emotion. It's a sign of, of grief, anger, or anguish. And in this case, it seems to be anguish because it leads to uh, immediately to repentance. Josiah is so sensitive to the things of God, to God's word and God's spirit, that, that it grieved his heart to hear the law read because he knew how far away they were from it. Now, I believe that this is why it says that Josiah walked in the ways of David. Not Josiah's good actions, not in purging the temple, not, not repairing the temple, but that this is why he's called a man after David, because of his repentance, because of his sensitivity to the word. David is who he's compared to, and if you remember, David doesn't have a clean record. David was an adulterer and a murderer at his worst point, but if you recall, at the end of that whole episode of Bathsheba, he was confronted with his sin, and David's reaction to the confrontation with the sin, he was grief-stricken, and he acknowledged his sin right then and there, and immediately repented, immediately grieved over his sin. If we contrast that to King Saul, who was David's predecessor, when he was confronted with sin, his reaction was to justify his actions, to make excuses, to, to, to say, well, you know, I was just kind of trying to do the right thing, blah, blah, blah. God said David was a man after his own heart, and he rejected Saul. And the difference is in their reaction to, or their repentance when they were confronted with sin. It's an important distinction because God looks at our hearts. Repentance is an integral part of the gospel. All right? We can't come to the Lord without repentance. We can't accept the gospel without repentance, without looking at our own sin and saying, my life is, is, is sinful without Christ. We can't come to Jesus and say, yeah, I'm joining up. You're lucky to have me. All right? We have to come and we have to say, I can't do anything about my sin. And you are the only one who can. And so we have this picture of repentance uh, coming through. Repentance only comes by humbly admitting that we are in a wrong direction. So Josiah's immediate reaction upon hearing God's law is is to tear his clothes. He's anguished. He's grieved. He knows Judah has been living outside of God's law and in disobedience. And he's concerned for his people. He's concerned for this nation that he has been investing in since he's uh, 16 or 8 or I don't know when he became concerned about Judah, but, but he's, he's concerned because he knows that when the law was read, they certainly would have read Deuteronomy 27 and 28, where they, they pronounced the blessings of obedience from one mountain, but the opposite mountain, the Mount Ebal, they pronounced the curses for disobedience. It was there that all the, all the, all the blessing and curses that were read. And Deuteronomy twenty eight fifteen 
contains a summary of the disobedience. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or are careful to do all his commandments and statutes that I commanded you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Josiah's reaction is true fear and concern for the people, for his people. He knows that as a nation, they're guilty. He knows that they're in violation of God's law. He knows they're doomed, so he takes action. Josiah sends some trusted advisors to consult the prophetess Huldah regarding the curses, and this is what she says. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants and all the curses that are written in the book that were, was read before the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands, therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered into your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And its inhabitants, and they brought back word to the king. So the advisors come back to Josiah, and the news is not good. Judah will face God's wrath. Judah will not survive. Josiah potentially knew that Judah's days were numbered anyway. As Israel had already been taken into captivity by this time, and during uh, his grandfather Manasseh's reign, a condemnation on Judah had been uttered because of Manasseh and Judah's wickedness. Second Kings twenty-one thirteen. This was said: "I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line against used against Samaria, and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab, and I will wipe out Jerusalem." Listen, listen to this, this pronouncement of, of, of judgment. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes out a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. See, Josiah is king in the middle of one of the, the worst times in Israel's history. He's king at the, the, the tail end of the kingdom. He's king when there is more unfaithfulness than faithfulness. But Josiah shows some urgency, and perhaps that urgency and drive come from a knowledge of God's mercy. I'd like to, to think that knowing the history of God's grace on Israel and the mercy perhaps drove him to seek the Lord. And it's hard to tell all of his motives for sure, but we can sure see his heart. And God sees his heart and even mentions his heart. Josiah, in the middle of this condemnation of Judah, gets a little shout-out from the Lord. I'm not sure it's a good thing, considering it's in the context of your nation is about to be destroyed, but it is a shout-out nonetheless from the Lord. And what did God see when he saw Josiah's heart? A heart that was tender towards God's word, a heart that was humble, and God responded to it. God responded to Josiah's tender and humble heart. Obviously, 
God would not be fooled by an insincere uh, motive. But notice here that Josiah is told he'll be spared the disaster. Now, if Josiah's motive is prim- and primary concern is just for himself, and he's told that he's going to be spared the disaster, what's his reaction going to be? It's going to be, all right, I can take it easy now. But that is not what we see in Josiah. Instead, we see Josiah lay open his heart wide open, and you will see that he loves God and that he loves his people. Let's read on in verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. You see, Josiah knew something. He knew that God is a God of mercy and he knew that God is a God of grace and he knew that there was hope as long as God's grace and mercy were available. He knew that God is not quick to judge. He knew that God is not quick to send his wrath. He knew that God is a patient God. And he knew that that it was coming, but he knew also that it could be delayed through faithfulness and and, and repentance. He knew knew that there was no other God worthy of Judah's devotion. So impending judgment or not, Josiah leads all of Judah to God's law. He gathers together the whole nation. And he knows, he knows they're a doomed nation. They're a condemned nation. But he gathers them all together and he reads to them the book of the law. And I love this. It says he stood in his place and he leads them to make a covenant to walk after the Lord and to keep his law. He stood in his place. Now his place, his place was king. And maybe like me, you've marveled at Josiah's accomplishments and zeal. And maybe you've observed this story from afar as an outsider and, and have thought, I'm not a leader of a nation. I'm not a, in a position of, of authority that I can, I can affect masses of people like this. But this morning, Josiah's influence, his story calls us to stand in our place. Whatever your place is, whatever your place is, whether that's as a dad or a mom, as a student, as a coworker, as a neighbor, stand in your place and call people to God. Call people to God wherever you are this morning. Wherever you are, seek the Lord. And a heart that is seeking the Lord naturally pulls others and pours out into others and brings them to God's word and brings them to his son. And so we are called this morning, we're challenged by the example of Josiah to cultivate a heart for God. At 16 years old, at 16 years old, he sought the Lord. We are called to seek the Lord. And as we draw close to him, he's going to reveal things in our life. He's going to reveal idols in our lives that draw our attention away from him. And we need to respond. We need to have a tender heart towards God's word. And we need to cut off those things that we know are in our lives that are are drawing us away from him. 
that are keeping us from serving God with our, our whole heart and our full zeal. And then after we've cut those things off, after we have dealt with that, after we've repented, then we seek to grow, that we repair the temple, that we repair, we are the temple. In the New Testament, we are the temple of God. We need to seek to repair the temple, to grow in Him. And as we grow, as we serve, as we pour out, we're going to pull others. We're called to be like Josiah. To stand in your place, whatever that place is, and lead others into covenant with God. It's not a role of a, of, a, of a preacher. It's not a role of a minister. It's a role of a believer. We are called to do this, to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Maybe this morning you feel distant from God. And let me tell you something. God has not moved. If you feel distant from God, that's, that's you. That's you. And I, I say that because I've, I've stood there, I've, I've said, man, I just don't feel close to God. And when we say that, we condemn ourselves. God is unchanging. He doesn't leave us. We leave God. It's our nature. <laughs> that's why we're called to take up our cross every day. So some of you, when you go home today, you need to, to dust off your Bible or, or in today's world, reposition your app and then open it and read it and read it with a tender heart that is looking for God to speak to us and looking for God and allowing God to speak into our lives and allowing God to say, this doesn't belong. This doesn't gel with me. And then to deal with it, to, to, to ask God's spirit to guide us and lay open so that the truth of Hebrews 4.12 can be proved in your life, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We need to be like Josiah and to, to come to God's word with sensitivity and openness and desire. And like Josiah... As we read the words of the Lord, there are times that we should weep. There are times that we should weep over our own sin and selfishness. There are times we should weep over our own idols after they have crept back into a place of prominence or, or that we've held on to. And there are times we should weep for our nation. You know, we studied Josiah in, in high school youth group last, uh, last spring and I was, I was struck as it went through the list of, of, of things that he'd purged from Israel, of the idols and all the unfaithfulness. And the, the, they made their son walk through fire. And I thought, man, this, this society has gone way out of whack. And then I thought, you know, this is our society. This is, this is the world's culture. I, I love America. I love the freedoms that we have. But there are times that I weep over America's sin, over America's unfaithfulness. And, and we're called to do that. And as we grow in Christ, as we seek to, to grow in him, we find security in our relationship with Jesus. Just like Josiah was, 
was given the, the pronouncement of condemnation on Judah, but the affirmation of his tender heart and his faith. As we, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, as we uh, affirm our, our standing with him, may we gather our circles of influence together and may we share the truth of Christ. May we share the one true God, Jesus Christ, with everyone we know in some way, in some shape, in some form, to know him and to love him with all of our hearts, to follow him, walking with him, not to just to give him lip service or, or to wear his name, but to give him life service and to bear his name on our heart. Josiah had a heart for God, and this morning I ask you, where is your heart? Who is your heart for? I pray you can say with confidence, my heart is for God. And if you can say that, I praise God. My next question is, who are you telling? Who are you sharing that with? Who are you weeping over? This morning we're going to close with our commitment hymn, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. You know, whenever we, we, we have a, a sermon that, 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 that asks for repentance, whenever there's a message in Christ that asks you to look at your heart, look at, look at the idols in your life, look at the sin in your life that asks you to repent, it should always end in grace. It should always end with pointing to the grace that is given to us by the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross paid for our sin. This is not something that, that, that we come for, that we have to earn, that, that God says, clean up your life and then come to me. God says, come to me as you are. All right, so if, if you're here this morning and, and you've never made that decision or, or, you know, I'm not asking you to cut off your sin and then come to Christ. I'm asking you to come to Christ and be willing to let him cut off your sin. Because his grace is greater than our sin. His grace goes beyond our efforts. His grace is what allows any of us to stand here and say, I'm a child of God. If it weren't for his grace, if any of us said we were children of the king of, of heaven, if we were children of God, the law would condemn us and strike us down. We would all be under condemnation, but it's the grace. It's the grace of Christ that allows us to say that. And so for the believer this morning, I ask you to glory in that grace. Glory in that repentance. Glory when you see sin in your life and you're willing to deal with it. For the unbeliever, glory in the grace that's offered to you and accept it. Let's sing together, grace greater than our sin.